All right, I think we can start. Yes. Okay. All right, so welcome to Options and Futures, Teenagers on the Radio. Um, my name is Claudia Villa, and I am 19 years old. I am from Santa Rosa, California. That's about an hour up north of San Francisco. And um, a little bit about myself, more about myself, <laughs> is um, I graduated a year ago, right? I don't know my years. Um, a year and a little bit more. Yeah, and right now I am working at um, KRCB's Voice of Youth, and that's the program that we come from. Um, so I've just been working there and um, doing a bunch of radio and audio kind of things. And um, should we start off with my piece? Uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, and here. introduce yourself. Yes, and I'm Tatiana Harrison, and I work on the Voice of Youth uh, program. It's been around for almost four years now. And before that, I was a public radio journalist in Latin America. But I'll tell you more about that. Um, yeah, so we're going to hear a clip of um, Claudia's story that she did, a second story she did. It was about changing up her style. Do you want to just explain the behind, behind the story of the story? Okay. Um, <laughs> well, I don't really... Well, what, Epiphanies. What, what does it come in? Um, well, basically it comes in, in the middle. Claudia has embarked to learn about heavy metal music heavy metal. in an effort to change up her style. Before it was mostly gangster rap, and she needed to yes. change and learn about what heavy metal is exactly. Yeah, so with this piece, you guys will come with me on a journey, um, going to a little local place. Well, it's, I think it's like they tore it down or something. It's closed it's down. It's not now. there anymore, yeah. it's closed down. But we went there and um, recorded a bunch of local bands and just reactions and stuff from that. So and We're just going to hear a little clip from the middle. Uh, we have just arrived to the a heavy metal concert, and this, this is Claudia's uh, narration over the sounds that we recorded at the event, and if people could go like this, if it needs to be louder, like this, if it needs to be quieter. <laughs> What's the difference between those styles, I wondered, as I turned the corner and saw what looked to me like a bunch of kids, all dressed the same. But a guitarist from the band, Millennium Travesty, Corey, 16 years old, set me straight on the differences. You have the scene kids who are like, you know, the ones with like the longer hair covering their eyes or whatever. And, you know, those are the ones that are kind of looked down on by the other ones. But really, they're just like, they're here for the same reason. And then you have the punks, which are obviously the punk kids. You know, they're just the ones with like the mohawks and the dirt, the dirty looking ones. As, um, and then, you know, the hardcore kids, the ones with like the camo shorts and X's on their calves. And like, and then there are the metal kids, which are the ones with like long shaggy hair and all that and at this show I think they're all just kind of brought together which which is starting to happen it used to be really everyone was segregated everyone would you know speak down about each other but now everyone's kind of coming together and I kind of like that I so soon had use for my new vocabulary as I went up to one girl Amanda who made it clear hardcore is my life why I asked um, most of the things that they say are really positive like their lyrics say a lot of good things and I take it and use in my life. So. It was weird to think that something I had no idea about was the focus of her life. Um, I use a lot of lyrics in my everyday life. I know that sounds really cliche, but it's the truth. Like, I basically sit at home and go on MySpace and listen to music all day, every day. Unless and I'm I got working. a new word from Amanda when I asked her how she'd found her style of music. I actually started liking hardcore when I went to Reno, because there's a lot of hardcore kids there with the whole straight edge movement. Straight edge being like yeah. a subgroup of hardcore, it seems. 
If you're straight edge, you don't drink, smoke, or have promiscuous sex. I was told to look for one sign that you're straight edge. Three X's on the kids' shirts, belt buckles, and even a lot of tattoos I saw. But I wasn't done learning new words yet, as I found out when I asked Blake, another guitarist of Millennium Travesty, what kind of equipment he and his bandmates use. Myself, I use a Mesa head and a Marshall cab, and Corey uses all Mesa equipment. Jeff has a set of pearls with my cymbals and Josh doesn't really need anything. It's about yes, Josh the singer just uses the equipment God gave him and he demonstrated the different sounds he can get from his instrument. Well, this one is like an intake, so I breathe in for this and it's like... <laughs> so that's just a clip of it there. So yes. And so that was just to introduce you to Claudia, who actually also had a story that she produced recently on PRI's The World. Uh, it was called Cruz Azul, and it was about a young man who crossed the desert into the United States, and she produced that with the help of her family, uh, two of whom were in the audience, Luis and Anai. And Anai, <laughs> who, is, uh, who I am going to... Um, I basically use as introducing myself or at least the ideas that I wanted us to focus on in this um, particular, I guess, uh, panel. Um, and what I think, uh, for me, what I hear in this next clip that we're going to hear is everything that I think is unique and interesting about working with teenagers to produce radio stories. Um, I'll just play the clip and then I'll talk about it a little bit. But just to explain, um, Anae worked with us this summer on a program where we're talking about people mapping their worlds. And uh, she recorded the sounds, just the ambient sounds of every room in her house. Um, basically, just stuck the microphone out and... If, except for a few like, shh, the microphone, it's just supposed to be recording what's going on. But you hear basically, you know, the soccer game in the background or the cooking in the kitchen or the Simpsons on in the garage slash bedroom. And um, this particular segment is Luis's room, um, which she made by mixing the sounds of each room into a shorter little part and then narrating that room, basically explaining it to the audience. So the whole story has all six rooms, but we're just going to hear right now Luis's room. So this is Luis. This is Anae. This is Luis's room. And uh, we hope that you enjoy it. Luis's room. That's my sister yelling at him for the phone. It's always in his room hiding. The story of Luis's room is complicated, but I will tell it to you. When we first moved in, Luis and Chio, my older sister, shared a room. She then got a boyfriend and made my brother a deal that if she bought him whatever kind of shoes or clothes that he wanted, she could have his room to herself. So he agreed. And then we saw that her boyfriend had moved in too. Luis was sleeping in the living room, and he never did get what he was supposed to for letting her have his room. Then my grandpa came up from Mexico, and he was sleeping in the living room too. Then my sister moved out with her boyfriend, and then Luis and my grandpa got the room. But then my sister moved back in with her boyfriend, so they sleep in the garage now. I'll get to that later. 
Anyway, welcome to Luis and Grandpa's room. In my picture, the one on the left is my grandpa, and the one on the right is my brother Luis. On the ceiling, there are glow-in-the-dark stars that the people before us left there. We're using the new saving energy light bulb, so it's not that bright anymore. But about his music, my mom and dad, and most of the time, my sister Claudia tell him to turn it down because he likes it to be really loud. Toy. I think that the music he listens to is annoying because he is always repeating the same song or the same kind of music. When I listen to it, all I can hear are bad words and more bad words. I think that's why my mom and dad and sister yell at him to turn it down. When my brother Luis listens to music in his room, he usually has friends over or is by himself playing on the Xbox. He is very funny and his friends are too. My brother just makes me laugh by the faces that he makes. They're ugly, but they're funny. He is at times mean to me, but I still love him. But most of the time in his room, he sits on his bed or lies on his belly and is drawing in his sketchbook. He's a really good artist and has been drawing ever since he was a little boy. And I say ever since he was a little boy because now he says he's a man. How do you stop it? If you want to talk to Luis afterwards, <laughs> or on Naive at their stories, um, or ask questions later, we're just going to move ahead to the stars of the panel as well. But I just wanted to point out from, from that that I think um, there's little parts of it that I notice. Um, I think when she talks about the phone hiding, that the phone is hiding in Luis's room, uh, to me that highlights how kids, especially at different ages, on a being a little bit younger than maybe the rest of us in this room, um, have a different relationship with the things and people around us. So a lot of times things are a lot more personified or they're, they're hiding as opposed to they're missing or something. Um, and then I think also the idea of what's normal and then what makes things deviate from that, what makes things change from that, um, some of the humor to me um, in this piece and all the, the rest of it is that things that I wouldn't see as normal are seen as very normal. And then the last point, I think, is that what gets recorded in your head, like what is remembered, like the fact that, Anayi, that you would have remembered, like the energy-saving light bulb, is a really interesting thing, I think, to pick up, and that's the potential, I think, at least that Voice of Youth is used a lot to try to get uh, into the minds of people and try to figure out what people have really remembered from all the stuff that they're sort of being told to remember. So the energy-saving light bulb, the phone being hiding, um, that's some of the themes that we're going to explore today. So um, the first one I think we're going to uh, go with is Martin, yes? Martin. Yeah, so, so wanna... go ahead and um, introduce yourself. Yeah. Uh, hi, everybody. Um, I'm Martin Macias. I'm with uh, Radio Arte on, in Pilsen on the south side. Uh, I just want to say, like, the past two years for me in radio have been pretty crazy. Um, just last year, I was going to be a professional soccer player, and now I'm, I'm with Radio Arte, so it's been, like, crazy for me, but I'm really enjoying it. Could you explain a little bit about what Radio Arte is and uh, Curry Youth Radio, where you got your start? Uh, I'll start with Curry Youth Radio. Um, Sarah Levine, she's my, she was my teacher. It's really just like this very unique high school class. And that's what it is. It's a high school class. It's, um, 
you go there and she gives you a microphone and like a, a mini disc recorder and she, you just like create your stories. So it's definitely very unique. And every day you have it as a class, like yeah, every day. Class. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Radio Arte, anybody who's familiar with it knows that it's like also a very unique program. Um, it was started by it was it's a, it's associated with the National Museum of Mexican Fine Arts, and Carlos Tortolero is like the main reason why it, it exists. Um, yeah, I'm just really proud to be part of it. And uh, the piece we're going to hear today is, you called it West Side Story? Southwest Side Story. Southwest Side Story. And this is about the neighborhood. Um, if you could tell us just uh, what the assignment was and then um, what we're about to hear. We're going to hear the whole story. about. Um, this was for Cure Youth Radio, actually. And it was uh, a project called Southwest Side Stories. And basically everyone in the class had to create, had to find a story in their neighborhood and try to find what was unique about it, what was interesting. And actually this story, I was going to do it on my, my brother and playing soccer like in the streets. And it kind of evolved into this piece about gentrification and parking. So that's This is some of the most amazingly difficult parking yeah. stories that you're going to hear. I thought I had a bad one. I live in Rogers Park. But um, okay. All right. So we're going to hear. It's about five minutes. And uh, this is Martine's uh, story from Korea Youth Radio. The sunlight slips under the horizon and work at the corner of 40th and Western stops. The lights at the construction site dim, and a line of dusty men file out, carrying their tired bodies to their cars. They turn the corner onto my block and are met with the cold stares of Lourdes and Don Marquez, who are gossiping on their battered porch. Lourdes and Don Marquez share a house next to the work site. When the truck drives past their home, the green paint on the side of their house peels off. The windows shake so much you can actually see dust rising off them. Ever since Don Marquez's porcelain Mexican wrestlers tumbled off their stands once, he doesn't wave back to the construction workers when they walk by. Lourdes and Don Marquez are waiting for the workers to leave so they can take their parking spaces, which is what all my neighbors and I are doing too. Everyone who lives close to the corner loses their parking space when they go to work or school, so they have to park far from their house when they get back. The worst part is having to compete with the people who live in the condos for the spaces that are left. The people from the condos are new on the block and don't really know whose house they're parking in front of. The condos don't have a parking garage either so it's like adding 10 cars to the block. The workers say their goodbyes to each other in Polish and Spanish accents and drive off past the corn lady's red cart. Lourdes only walks with a cane so she depends on Don Marquez to tell her daughter to get her car. But four cars are already turning onto my block to snatch those spaces that are left. Their headlights shine on a mob of people rushing to their cars. From his porch, my neighbor, Mr. Garza, calls to his son who is across the street. Oscar, ven para acá! ¿Qué pasó? Do me a favor, mijo, and bring the chairs from the back and save a space for the truck. And don't let those people from the condos take it. Uh, what if they tell me to move? Well, don't listen to them. Mr. Garza runs off as Oscar drags his lawn chair out and sits in front of his house, left to defend the parking spot. 
Oscar doesn't make eye contact with his friends in the block. He's probably too embarrassed. Instead, he counts the number of wrinkles on his hands while he waits to hear the sound of his dad's horn. Lourdes and Don Marquez move their conversation to the curb to save a space for the car. They have already waved off two cars and are glaring at a Saturn that is trying to creep past them. Don Marquez kicks an elote on the street, straight at the Saturn's tire. He hates Saturns, he says they're yuppie cars. The driver shakes his head but Don Marquez is old and he doesn't care what anyone thinks. My sister runs out of the house with her car keys and stops the soccer game my brothers and I are playing. Marty, mom said for you and Alex to get the chairs and save a space. Oh man, can't you just leave the car where it is? We have no choice really, so my brother brings the chairs from the side of the house while I move the soccer nets from the front. As soon as I step off the grass, my other next door neighbor turns on his sprinklers. He's the kind of guy who really cares about his plants. He once called the cops on us because we were supposedly on his property or something. They hate when we play in our grass, so they wet it so we'll slip if we play there. So last Halloween we gave them what they had coming to them. My brother and I sit on the chairs on the curb, playing rock, paper, scissors, waiting till we see our sister in her car. A guy in a Mini Cooper drives up to us, asking us why we, why we are saving the spot like it's our property. My brother says to him with a smile, Because it's a free country, who told you to buy a car? The guy shakes his head too, and he drives off. I feel ashamed. This is someone who we barely even know, and my brother is already talking smack to him. I'm not like Don Marquez. I try to reason with people, especially if it's someone I have to see almost every day. It is completely dark by the time my sister comes with the car. The streets smell like car exhaust and a cloud of smoke blocks the moon. The only light on my block comes from the flashes of the TVs and the houses. Mr. Garza comes back with his truck and lets Oscar leave his post to go play with his friends. Don Marquez is already asleep, making Lourdes the last person saving a space on the block. It's surprising how much people have to rearrange their lives so they can adapt to change. Even more surprising is the impact just a few condos going up can have on people. I stack the chairs back in the side of my house and sit on my porch, waiting for the smog to clear. So maybe some thoughts from the audience, but just a quick, uh, Martin, would you, listening to it now, are there any points where you're like, yes, or any points that you cringe at now? Yeah, I cringe a lot because this was like one of the first um, pieces I ever did. Uh -huh. So um, yeah, this was one of the first pieces I ever did, and I didn't know Pro Tools too well, and so I mean, obviously you can hear the pops and like the fade-ins and all that stuff, but um, I just, I thought this was a really unique story, and now that the reaction I get is like, this is a unique story, so... Yeah, kids sitting out in lawn chairs yeah. guarding their parents' parking places. Yes, I think it's unique. Yeah. <laughs> it's a symbolic of scarcity of resources. <laughs> um, any co comments or questions out from the audience? Yes, Carrie. Can you talk a little bit about dramatizing the elections and how you chose who was doing what? Or... 
As far as like the, the, the voiceovers or just like mm -hmm. the... The parts that were, they were, I assume they were dramatized, right? The parts of the calling out. So who did those things? Who, did you write the lines out or did you just improv or how did you create? Uh, that was actually um, my brother and my sister. And that's usually who is like, because it's only me and my sister and my mom who drive. And so if there's an open parking space, my mom will call my sister out. And so she's usually the one saying those things. So I figured why not just have her do the voiceover. So. Really great piece. Thank you. It's really good work. I'm curious about the music. How did you think that song and why? How did you think about it when you were laying That's one of the things that I cringe at because, like, no, it's fine. It's good criticism. Actually, my teacher, Sarah Levine, like, she was telling me to completely get rid of it because it kind of overlaps and it kind of. It overrides like the narration, you know. So I don't know. At first, I just thought it was like that. That's like a really cool song, so it'll sound cool under it. And that's the first time I'm using Pro Tools, so I'm like, oh yeah, I'll put like my favorite song under it, and it'll be cool. But I mean, now that I hear it, it's like I should have just like used instrumentals or am ambient noises. But it was your favorite song, though. At the time, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely an important song for me because, I mean, that's a song I would listen to to just, like, escape whatever. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Good. I was just wondering what your basic process is. So just in really short form, like, what's, what the first, second, third, fourth steps were for you okay. just creating the story. Oh. All right. Thanks. Well, at first, this piece was going to be about my brother playing soccer on the street. And then it evolved, like I said, into, like, this gentrification issue. And so basically the steps you do is um, you just like go out and you write, you start off with a, like a rough uh, draft, right? And you narrow it down from like three pages into like a couple pages. Because in radio, obviously, you have to be really concise. Like she used to say, like, good radio saves lives. Like you don't want to be boring people with like, you know, this long talk. So it starts with, 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 with like three pages and you end up with one page of like, the most concise words you can get, you know? And once you have that, you read it out. And that was one thing we had to do, like practice our narration, which I'm still practicing. And yeah, basically that's it. You just, you know, you have your rough, your rough uh, edits, and that's what you work with. Last question on this one. Um, actually, <clears throat> uh, I'm curious about the previous one, the portrait of the room. Mm -hmm. uh, is there anybody who, who could kind of um, explain a little bit how that was made and, um, you know, the process of gathering the tape and then the narration. Shall I explain it, Ani? Yeah. Yeah. You want to come up here? No? Yeah? <laughs> come on up here. <laughs> I'll begin to explain it a little bit. Uh, basically, we were just talking about different maps of our world, so we were talking about... Um, the, some people did a map of their brain, like just where different rooms in their brain. And Anayi, what did you, oh, this is Anayi, she's 10 years old. <laughs> oh my God. I'm sorry, yes, I know, but it's true, you're 10. Shows <laughs> <laughs> on people know her age. So what happened, how did you record the sound? I took the recorder home and started recording all the rooms and all that stuff. Was there any hard parts? 
Mm, my brothers. How come that was hard? Because all his friends were there. <laughs> and they were saying stuff into the microphone? Yeah. So were you, were you there in the room with the microphone, or did you just leave it there? Mm, just left it you there. You left it there, yeah. We have a bathroom part, too. We have a bathroom It's part. just a shower. And, 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 and when you recorded, like, you must have recorded, like, quite a lot of mm-hmm. stuff. Did you then edit it together? Like, Definitely. Right. Yeah, um, Anae and her sister, Claudia, yeah. uh, they logged it together. Like, they listened to it, mini-disc to speakers, and it hooked up to speakers, right? And then you guys picked out the parts that you liked the best, and there was um, a process of Anae sort of narrating it to Claudia, who uh-huh. typed it into the computer. And then Jeremy Hay and I were kind of editors going back and forth, cutting it down. Um, and then, how was the voicing in the studio? Tell them about that. Fun. Fun? Was it fun? We have some excellent outtakes. Oh, excellent. <laughs> Go to www. <laughs> um, it, was it long, though? Yeah. It was long, huh? Frustrating? No. Oh, was it? I thought you were frustrated. No. We had snacks, so. <laughs> we had snacks. <laughs> All right. I, 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 love the, I love the idea. It's something I can take home and use. Yes, please do. And uh, there's all the different rooms. They're also on a website called tengolavoz.org. And you can click on the room. She did a map of the room that it's referring to. um, And uh, the picture of the whatever. That she drew. Yeah, yeah, the pizza. It looks like a pizza, but actually it's a light. I don't know. (laughs) And uh, you can click on the room and hear the sound of that room. Um, So we have heard from Martine. And next we're going to hear from Livius. Okay, well, I will, I'll go over this. <laughs> Libby, okay. uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, my name is Libby Donovan, and I live in South Portland, Maine, and I do Blunt Youth Radio, which is a weekly talk show, Monday nights, 7.30 to 8.30, where we host a live show. And then I did this feature about public transportation um, for that show that night. Um, that's pretty much it. <laughs> yes, and um, the sound that we're going to hear is almost all of Libby's story. Um, it, it did it have a title or? Um, I think it's called Bus Basics. Bus Basics, yes. Yeah. And if you heard my very interesting introduction to our session <laughs> this morning, um, you heard this is the particularly compelling interview with a transit official. So, get ready. <laughs> And uh, here we go. I have no license and no car. To get around this summer, I had to bum rides off of people. I meant to buy a summer youth pass, you know, unlimited rides for $20, but I'd never taken the bus before. I see the bus stops, and I see the people waiting for the bus around South Portland, but I never really see a bus. I didn't even know when the bus should be coming. So I needed a schedule, which proved hard to find. I talked to Tom Myers, the director of the South Portland Bus Service, about the basics of taking the bus. Where would I find a schedule, like for Portland, would I be able to find it at like a convenience store or at a cert- or would I have to go to the specific location? Well, um, I'm sure if you called, they would mail you, or I'm not sure. You would have to call Metro and ask them if they would mail you a schedule. We mail ours if customers ask. You can also pick them up on all of our buses. 
So I'm, my expectation would be that you should be able to pick those up on their buses as well. Okay. That doesn't, like, it seems weird that you would pick it up on the bus because you'd have to use the schedule to find where the bus you want to get is first, right? Right. <laughs> I also wanted to know how to get to Portland, but the South Portland bus schedule doesn't include more than their own very limited stops to Portland. But it seemed to me that South Portland and Portland bus systems should be connected. Do you have, like, any idea why that isn't? Well, they used to be connected until 1983, and then for a number of reasons, um, the two systems separated out. Are, like, the Portland system and the South Portland system in, like, competition with each other, or do they try to work together? Well, I think we would call it... uh, a, a, a friendly competition where we work together. Um, we're working towards making our systems um, appear to be as one. Uh, comments, questions, etc. Lydia is very Ali She watches a lot of TV too, so <laughs> TV star. I was just wondering, uh, how was how did how did the interview go when you were when you were talking with him? Did you feel like he was talking down to you at all, or did or was it a pretty healthy exchange of ideas, or or, or how did that interview go for you? I mean, it sounded it sounded great. I was just wondering the bits we didn't hear. Um, it was it was a pretty long interview. It was actually 20 minutes that I talked to him for, and um, he was really helpful. But I was trying to make a really serious piece, and so when he started telling me things that weren't helpful um, and was just ridiculous. I felt like, I was like, I can't use any of this. So then I used it and made a different piece almost. Yeah. Um, similar to the interview question, I just thought, did it, did it feel different? Was the interview different because you weren't interviewing him in person and because it was a phone interview? So how did that fare? I mean. Would you have wanted to interview in person, and how would how do you feel about that? Um, I never actually saw him, so I kind of wonder what he looks like, because um, he must be a very strange person. Um, <laughs> but um, I think I'm more comfortable over the phone, just because I felt like if I was sitting in the room with him, I'd feel weird asking certain questions, you know. Um, so I think that that worked out over the phone because I got him on the phone and I was like, can I just interview you right now because I need to get this piece done. So Yeah, it was great because it just, it just felt the comfort, the conversation that you were having just felt like you felt comfortable talking to him. Yeah. So, awesome. <laughs> I love the piece. And um, something that I particularly loved is kind of that you were so sort of gutsy in a way of kind of challenging him on how absurd it was. Are you usually that gutsy in general or was that a special moment for you? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like when you're like, wait, what? If I don't have the schedule, how am I going to get on the bus? You know. Um, I feel like I'm not too afraid to just ask a question because I know it's not the right question to ask if I get a weird look from someone. Um, But that's just the kind of thing that I would ask, I think. And I, it seemed weird to me. I really wanted to ask him that question anyway, and I just forgot to write it down. So it felt like I needed to ask it at that point. So, yeah. 
So I think we will uh, move on to it. actually still uh, blunt radio, but we're going to hear from Claire about um, a specific part of their program that uh, when you hear about it, you'll understand why the author isn't here with us right now. And um, Claire, if you could tell us about uh, this specific aspect of Blunt's work. And one of the things we do is we, ha- we work with the local juvenile detention facility, Long Creek Youth Development Center. Sounds nice, doesn't it? Um, but it is a, as a jail for teenagers, um, and we've been going there twice a week since 2000. It's very interesting. And uh, we've gained increasing ability to do what we want there. In the beginning, we had to have everything checked, and we couldn't do a live show, and now we don't have to have things checked. And they, they, the kids who are allowed, on, who are on the right levels, can come out and do the show live at the radio station every about six weeks. But um, anyway, this piece that you're going to hear is called Joey's Phone Call Home, and uh, it's uh, by a young by Joey Thompson. And uh, Joey was incarcerated at the time, and. Uh, um, Although he is now he's now graduated from Long Creek, unfortunately he's been uh, he's now in another prison, so things haven't gone that well for him. But um, uh, he uh, you'll get an idea of what his instincts are as a radio producer. He produced a couple different things for us. He had one piece that was on This American Life, and another one that won a um, uh, um, a an award from NFCB when they had their Golden Reel Awards. But um, I guess that's enough, isn't it? Yeah. So we're about to hear, um, and I think this, you guys are featured, is it this month on Transom? Yes. As well? So Transom, Thank you, you Transom. can hear this. Um, and also on PRX, where I also listen to it myself. And um, it is about five minutes long, so here is Joey's phone call home. And this was a recorded phone call right from... It's a recorded, yeah, recorded yeah. Um, from the facility. It's not reenacted or anything like that. It's an actual phone call that he called his his family, um, as a part of a. They can do whatever kind of story they want, right? So that was this was the story he chose to do. Hello. Hi. Hi. What are you doing? No much. What are you doing? Nothing. I'm. Hey, you're being recorded. Oh yay. Yeah, just so you know. Well, okay. I'm in school. I'm at the Lego Lab. Oh, cool. Uh, I'm leaving the 15th. Leaving for where? Day one. You are? Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. The 15th? Yeah. Okay. Well, then I can't see you for how long a time? I don't know, probably like a month, but I'm going to check and see if you can bring me up there. Okay. The 15th, if you can pick me up from here and bring me to day one. Okay. Well, we will definitely be in there Sunday, too, this coming Sunday. All right. Okay. Yeah, why wasn't you here last Sunday? <laughs> because just a bunch of crap. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So, but have a vehicle, so. What kind? Um, a Eagle Talon. An Eagle Talon? Yeah, 91 sports car. Is it nice? Is it? Yeah, it's real nice. Do you... Do you, uh... Dan says real fast. <laughs> how's Dan? Good. Uh, how's India? Good and mouthy. <laughs> Still? Oh, yeah. Where's she at? She's right here. Oh, Why tell her I said hi. Joey says hi. India. She ain't even answering me. Oh. Joe said hi. Who's there? Oh, me, Dean, in India. India says she loves you, and she wants to see you. She wants to see me? Yeah. Oh. Hey, let me talk to India. Okay, hang on. India? India? Hello? Hi. Hi. How are you? You're being recorded. No, I'm not. Yeah, you are. <laughs> so, uh, 
What are you doing? Nothing, but why are you recording me? Just, just so I can hear your voice later. So, Nia, I'm leaving the 15th. Why? Yeah, to the rehab place. When are you getting out from the rehab place? A year from the 15th. What's wrong? Well, I want you to get out before that. I don't think I can. Uh, so, when school start? September 1st. September 1st? You anxious to go or what? Not really, but... No. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> Do you have to go to school? Huh? At the rehab place? Huh, yeah, they got their own school there. So, um... Have you been going to school? Yeah, I'm in school right now. You are? Yeah, I'm talking to you from school. This right here might be played on the radio. You might have your voice on the radio. My voice on the radio? Yeah. How? Because I'm going to have this on a CD. What CD? A CD that I'm going to make. Cool. And you'll be able to hear yourself when I come home sometime. Cool. So you coming up this Sunday? I don't know. Did Mama say we are? Yeah. Yes, then I am. Tell mom that uh, she needs to go shopping for me. Mom, he said you need to go shopping for him. She said, well, I don't know what to tell you. She's broke. <laughs> all right. Well, India, I got to uh, I gotta let you go now, all right? Let me talk okay. to mom real quick. I love you. I love you, too. Bye. Bye. Do you want to talk? Hello? Hello? Do you want to talk to Mama? Yeah. Okay, hold on. Hey. Hi. So, so you're definitely going to be out this Sunday? Yes, I will definitely be there this Sunday. All right. As long as I don't... Oh, never mind. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> Being recorded, hon, so... <laughs> I ain't even going to ask that. <laughs> He's being a goob. Oh, yeah. Uh. All right, well, uh, I'm going to let you go. All righty, babe. Bye. Bye. So I don't know about anyone else, but... There's specific moments in that that strike me, and I think one of them is his really hard tone when he says, who's that? Because to me, you can hear how, like, how separated you are even from the people that you sort of uh, care about the most. And that, I don't know, there's little, there's throughout the piece, I think there's, geez, Louise. Um, there's moments um, gosh, where... Um, you're just being reminded of the distance, I think, through these really kind of subtle ways. So, Any um, extra things you'd like to add here? Oh, well, I just uh, I want to thank Joey. He did a lot of good work for us. I wish things had gone better for him. 
but anyway, he did some nice stuff for us, and it was, it was great. It shows the limitations in some ways of this type of work, too, because in youth media, you're, you're not working uh, just to create a product, but you're also working with young people, and, uh, you know, um, sometimes there are forces larger than, than the ones that, you, you know, you're not able to counteract necessarily all the forces that are at play in a given person's life, but he had a good run with it as far as uh, the radio he produced. He may come back, you know? Huh. Okay, um, that was a great piece. Does anyone uh, have any comments or questions, questions? about it, just uh, for clear from the audience, or anyone want to just make any comments? Mm -hmm. uh, hi, I thought that was a wonderful piece. I, I just I wanted to check uh, or to ask about um, there's so many confidentiality and sort of privacy laws governing uh, juvenile offenders, and how did you uh, uh, address those? What kind well, of yeah, there, there's no right now. I do use his last name because he is an adult now, and he's given us permission in the past to use his last name, so we know it's okay with him. Um, so, and he has a right to use his own last name. Um, however, um, as when they are in the facility, if they're under 18, they no no last names are used, and no no other identifying names. So. You know, um, so we don't do that. Uh, we don't take any pictures unless they're 18. What kind uh, of agreements did you have to? Um, I mean, you, you referenced uh, initially, sort of. Well, you know, it's been under. we've been we were lucky. It has been very loose. We don't have any kind of written thing about it. Uh, they, we just follow the rules of the institution, which are, you know, to maintain maintain the the confidentiality in terms of the actual the complete name of the young person. Um, anything that would identify them completely, um, they are not supposed to. Um, discuss their crimes in any way that would um, uh, either implicate others or glorify what they've done. So they can talk about what they've been through and what they might have learned from it, but they can't like they can't kind of make themselves into like a hero for what they've done. Um, so there's some basic things like that, but we've been very, pretty lucky. And how did you pitch it to the hall uh, in terms of? Uh... Um, well, um, they thought we were main public radio. So we were able to get in because actually uh, about a year and a half or two years before that, um, some of our young people in our after-school program, which Libby's part of, uh, had wanted to do a story about the youth center, which had been at that time on Amnesty International's list. Okay, seriously, so they had a chair they tied kids to. It's very different now. They've rebuilt the whole thing, and it helped that they got some pressure like that. But at that time, it was very bad. And um, so some of the young people from, our, from the community uh, that, who are in Blunt wanted to do a story. And uh, I said, well, then they... They said that they had called a couple of times and they couldn't get any interviews. And I said, well, you know, the show's coming up Monday. Why don't you just go up there with your mics live and see what happens at the gate? You'll just kind of do like a Michael Moore and they'll turn you away and that'll be your tape and you can write a little commentary around that. So they did and they got waved in. And so <laughs> these two kids were walking around with live mics. And this time it wasn't a locked facility. It was actually more of a campus type facility, which is... How can I say? Basically, the new one's probably healthier, but this one, at least you get outside more. But anyway, um, and uh, eventually they got asked to leave, and, they, <clears throat> and uh, you can hear them being asked to leave, and they very politely agree to leave, and then we get into this little battle about you know, giving the tape back. Of course, it was our tape, so you didn't, there was nothing to give back <clears throat> in the end. So that, that had happened, and if they had known, I guess, who we were, we might not have gotten in, but meanwhile, one of the reporters, uh, um, Charlotte Albright at Maine Public Radio had been forging a good relationship with them and when we went and asked to go in they thought we were we were she and so you know we got in and then and then we'd been in for maybe a month when the guy who we'd had so much trouble with realized who we really were and it was kind of too late to kick us out. Mm -hmm. Another comment? Question? 
Claire, I just wanted to ask you, do you do any training with them? And oh, if, yeah. It, and if so, can you just give us a sketch? Yeah, we're there. We go there twice a week, and um, it's an hour and a half class twice a week. Um, and uh, they're in there. Our, the session, each session is like six to eight weeks, sort of depending how the calendar falls. And they are welcome to stay for as many sessions as they are there for. So some kids will be with us for a year or more, or come like be the, do a session, drop out, and come back another session. They, ha they do have a school there, so it's a class in the school. And um, we do listening at the beginning of the session, so where they do a little written reaction or a list of comments in a notebook. And then they, uh, by the way, Joe's Fancel, by the way, has been volunteering for with us at Long Creek, too. So if you want to know more, you can ask Jones. Jones, wave, wave, your, wave your hand. Thank you. Jones from PRX, Generation PRX, yes. where you can hear these pieces, by the way. And um, uh, um, so, uh, and then, th so then they choose a theme. Normally, it's a theme because they will have a live presentation of their of their show, and they produce pieces around the theme. Um, we, we have uh, mini disc recorders and uh, um, uh, you know and uh, computers with Pro Tools. Uh, their opportunities for for interviewing, of course, are limited because they can't go out in the world. So they limit they interview within the building. Uh, write a lot of times it's written things that they record. Um, and like sort of commentary-esque. Um, but they may do phone calls out, and if they're allowed. Not all of them are allowed. So the concrete <clears throat> skills they leave with? Um, I think they, they um, well, we believe, that it, it's, we believe that it has a positive impact on literacy because uh, many of the young people who are incarcerated there have had a very rocky road in the public school, public school system and don't like a lot of the things associated with it. So this is a chance to uh, do writing for a reason, for example, reacting to the pieces and uh, begin to look, think about uh, beginning, middle, end, story, narrative, that type of thing in terms of something they're actually doing. So we hope that that's part of the skills they get. And then, then if they have to go live, you know, sort of you know, doing something positive under pressure, uh, talking on air, describing their pieces, taking calls, that type of thing. So communication skills overall. And we have about nine more budgeted minutes. <laughs> so go ahead. Claire, I was wondering if there was any, if any point that you thought about cutting that tape at all. It was perfect. And I just wondered if the temptation um, came Well, it was to... cut down some. I remember something about some shoes, too, that wasn't in there. But it was cut a little bit. He did cut it. He edited it himself. And um, uh, so... But it's sometimes hard because um, the young people, you know, it is their decision. That's one of the things... I, uh, I think I mentioned this at something yesterday, but one of the former Blunt members here commented on the transom page that Blunt is dirty, you know, like, dirty in the sense that it's like, it's like kind of down and dirty. We produce a weekly show, and the kids really make their decisions. There are many things that go on here that I've never heard before. Not the youth center ones, but of the other ones. And, uh, and then they maybe... And so we may rework them later, as for if we're doing something with you guys at Youth Radio. <laughs> we might try and fix them up a little. But um, so anyway... So uh, it's kind of their call for the show. Is there any other comments or questions? All right, well, we are going to go on to our last piece to discuss. And after that, if there's, I think we might have uh, quite a time because we've actually got our one uh, outtakes sort of special bonus edition to hear. Um, we're going to hear... Uh, part of the piece that uh, Claudia's about to introduce. We've got some bonus, and hopefully we'll have a few moments at the end for general questions to anyone else. Okay, so um, next we're going to hear from Sarah. So Sarah, would you like to introduce yourself and say a little bit about your piece? Hi, I'm Sarah Martinez, and I'm from Staten Island, New York, which is part of New York City. And I'm part of, <laughs> and uh, I'm from Radio Rookies, which is also in New York. And um, you're, going, you're about to hear my story, which is um, I have an autistic, my younger brother is autistic, and so my story is about how, 
I'm finally talking about it. And this is, yes, from Radio Rookies, and here we go. I used to sing a lot. I used to jump up and down on the bed with the hairbrush for a mic and the stereo on loud. But this annoyed my parents, so I started to write songs in my notebooks at school. I keep my notebooks in different parts of my room, like hidden treasures. The songs are a part of me I don't want anyone to see. I sometimes don't look back at the songs I write. I don't have time to dwell on my feelings. I have a lot of responsibilities. One of them is helping my little brother Diego with his homework. He's autistic. Yes, homework! I'm tired and sleepy. But this little guy has to do his homework. People? People with umbrellas. 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 We found out that my brother had autism when I was 12 years old. That's when I began to grow up faster. Starting in seventh grade, I was in charge of all three of my siblings, if my parents were working. And taking care of Diego is hard. What are, you, what are you talking about? He couldn't find the lid off the cheese. He always sets things up the way he likes them. If there is a change, he freaks out. I'm also my parents' personal translator. My family is from Mexico. So, I translate letters, go to doctor's appointments, and I even go with my mom to the school events. Um, is there a way that you can translate that, what you said from the beginning? Because there are some parents here that might not understand. I'm just a teenager, but I still worry about everything to do with Diego. And my mom tells me all her worries, too. My mom is short and on the chubby side. She can't run very fast. And Diego slips right through her fingers. I'm very scared something will happen on the street. All through high school, when my mom was telling me her worries about Diego, inside I was like, why are you telling me this? I'm just a kid. Why should I have to worry too? But instead, I just let my mom talk. Later, when I was finally alone, I would listen to my Avril Lavigne CD. And then, I would go back to helping out my parents with Diego. I called Eden 2, which deals with children who have autism. Hi, my name is Sarah, and we... I almost never complain about helping my parents, but this past year, I have started to notice how much anger, frustration, and confusion is trapped in my mind, and it's starting to break out at the weirdest times. Like when I went to meet with Donna Long of the Grace Foundation. She told me they offered family support services, and I was happy. But then I told her about the language barrier. That's one of the reasons why my parents haven't gone, gone to counseling, because they don't know, um, they don't understand English. I, I, would, I would think for now, I, and that's, I, I hope not putting a burden on you, but maybe that's where you would come in 
to kind of help out, obviously speak English. So, I mean, you may have to be that bridge. Hearing people say that is a story of my life. I was so upset, and she could tell. The more we talked, the more we were talking about me. Not about Diego or even my parents, which is a first. You can call here or come here anytime you want to talk. You could talk to my daughter who's 19. Donna told me she has two daughters, Janine who's autistic and Kristen who isn't. I had to grow up very fast. To be honest with you, I had times where I was like very upset about it, resented it so much, hated it, hated it. For me, I started to cry about two minutes into my conversation with Kristen. Even though, like, my brother's 14 years old and my sister's 12, and I don't want to talk to them because I don't want to burden them. They might not be feeling the same thing that I do, but... But they might be. And I don't want them to be, like, feel what I have felt. Yes, but... <laughs> like, if they have too much responsibility, then I take some of it. I'd rather be home, like, helping my mom out than, like, enjoying myself. I don't know, you shouldn't give up, you know, having fun. It's important. <laughs> Go out. I'm like, <laughs> I'll take you out. <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> yeah. But it's not like after talking to Kristen, the sky was bluer and the birds were chirping and everything was finally okay. I haven't called her, but I have started doing more things for myself. This is a song I wrote. Around you, the world and I've slowly been finding it easier to express my feelings, even about Diego. How easy it would be to float away. But there's something that holds you in your place, and that's him. I know that I'll never have it easy. When Diego grows up, he's not going to be like other grown-ups. And maybe I'll end up caring for him then, too. I know some people who are always having fun. But fun is not everything. With all the responsibilities and all the worries, I've become understanding, patient, and so much more. What do you think of me? Well, I think... That's my sister, Sonia. She's 12 years old. Can you just leave me here alone with the microphone? (laughs) Okay, and um, I'm going to go and check on Diego. I think Sarah's a hero. I look up to her. Don't tell her. I don't think I'm a hero. I think you have to do something close to a miracle to be one. I'm just a big sister trying to set a good example. For NPR News, I'm Sarah Martinez in New York. Well, thanks. How did it feel to listen to it up here in front of all these people? Um, well, it's kind of cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. Was it, um, this is a shorter version, right? Yeah. This is the shorter version for Morning Edition, I believe. Yeah. Um, and the parts that we, correct me if I'm wrong, anyone who knows otherwise, but these are the parts that were cut out from the, the WNYC version. The clips, yes. 
with the, um, so it's okay with you, we're gonna go with the exclusive outtakes <laughs> we're offering to you today at this workshop. And, um, and we're going to hear, uh, I think it was a conversation that you had with your mom, was yeah. Sarah? Um, that was in the WNYC version that um, was taken out of the morning edition version. So, is it with this volume at the right level? Um, actually, maybe we'll just hear them um, back to back. So the first one we're gonna hear is a conversation with your mom and the other one I think is just talking to the microphone. Yeah. For a long time, I've wanted to talk to my mom about how I feel but I've been afraid. I didn't want her to judge me. So when I finally got up the nerve to talk to her, a strange thing happened. When I asked her what she thought of me doing the story, she told me she thought it was good for me to get things off my chest and that she already knew a lot of how I felt. You think I don't know it affects you? I know. Not only you, but also Sonia and Larry. They give me a hard time because I buy Diego more things than I do for them. People told me we need to go to family therapy. But you know, we have to work, pay the bills. Es que para mí... I told my mom that I don't talk about my feelings at all because I don't want to put a burden on her. And my mom said she knows that I hold it inside. I didn't tell my mom all of the things that bother me. I wanted to say that I hated the responsibility, and I grew up too fast, and that it was unfair because I didn't get to do the things most kids were doing. This is the second clip. I'm wondering also it gets me thinking of the future because I know my parents aren't going to be here forever. And I, and I also want to make sure that my brother is cared for because I know that I'm not going to be here. And I just want him to be well cared for. And it makes me sad also because it's going to come a time when, you know, my parents die, and he's going to be questioning it. And I don't know if he's going to understand it. And I don't know what I'm going to do. Even, I mean, I know it hasn't happened yet, but it is a possibility. Oh, we're all <laughs> in pieces up here. Anyone have any <laughs> comments out there? <laughs> um, but yeah. Was it NPR that took that out? The the sec about yes. The second clip wasn't included at all in the original aired version at all. Well, there's just it's it's a very it's very it's absolutely vulnerable, 
And, you know, this is something that, as a collaboration that we do with the rookie, she's putting herself out there. I mean, as all, you know, young producers are. And so it's just decided not to. You know, she, it's, just, it's a lot. And, um, yeah. I, Sarah, do you want to explain a little bit how you felt about that? I mean, it, it was a very vulnerable piece from the beginning. It's very emotional. So imagine. No, I can. That's why I understand. Because that, to me, that's a, that's a very um, important part of autism is that you're going to be alone at a certain point. That's, what, that's my feeling from it is that they are going to be alone at a certain point. So that, to me, was a major chunk of you know, the story. Um, well, the reason I didn't put it there was because my story, the draft, was already um, more than <laughs> seven or eight minutes. So we had a, you know, if we put that part there, then we had to add more stuff in order to explain it. So we decided not to, not to put it because of the of the um, initial time limit that we had. Yeah, that was also a, it helped to have a time limit to put in there. Um, Another question, sir? Oh. Sir, I was wondering um, what your parents uh, felt about you doing this piece and also that you know, it would end up on the radio and lots of other people would hear it also. Um, well, I didn't actually tell them. I was just recording around, <laughs> around my house. And then like about two months into it, I actually told them that I was doing it. Um, well. They just um, were like surprised that I was doing that because I had other ideas. But yeah, it was they were cool with it. And um, my mom has heard the story, but not my dad really because of the language barrier, so they wouldn't understand. I was wondering, do you feel like that ever frees you up a little bit? Because sometimes I feel like with the youth that we work with whose parents are um, Spanish speakers, in a sense, it's, it's as, as you can see in the piece, it's a difficulty for you translating stuff. But do you think it freed you up a little bit? Would have been harder if they could have understood every word of the piece? Would have been harder to put it out there? Or? Yeah, it would have been harder if my parents actually understood. <laughs> so, um, that was such an incredibly courageous and moving piece. I know we all felt it. Um, I always leave these sessions completely inspired and amazed by all of you. So thank you so much, all of you, for sharing. Um, and I also, you said, Sarah, that you never really talked about this before. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about your process of how you decided on this story and then what it was like to kind of go through making it? Well, I guess it started when... Um well, I'm part of a youth group in Staten Island, and um, Radio Rookies actually came to the organization to talk about it. They came at least twice, and the first time, I wasn't really inclined to go, but then the second time, um, I heard a story, and I thought that I'd never be able to make something that good and awesome. And so, one of the reasons, another reason that I joined was because um, I'm sort of a layback person, and I'm not really into putting myself out there, but I realized that in order for me to, um, I don't know, go place or whatever, I had to make the first step, so I decided to do it. But, like, I'm sort of a shy girl, so I wouldn't have um, thought about doing it, but then, yeah. <laughs> 
This is sort of a follow-up to Joan's question, but uh, for you and also for the Radio Rookie staff, I mean, I feel like a lot of times you guys in general, your piece in particular, really, really brave, really personal stories. Um, yeah, how did you come to, I feel like Joan's asked this, but I'm not sure if you answered it. Like, how did you come to decide that, that this was the story that you were going to tell? What was the process and at, the, at the very beginning stage in terms of picking story topics and, and what you were going to do? Well, in the beginning, at first, we were just coming up with ideas, and one of the things that um, caught my attention was immigration, because where I live, there's a lot of people who are immigrants, and I wanted to do something similar to that, because there was, um, but then I decided not to do it, because there was a lot, a lot of attention to it already, and another um, topic that, I, that occurred to me was translation, and how... Um, children that are born here or grew up here and have parents that aren't native to this land, how they how their lives have changed because of translating by for their parents on everyday stuff. And then so I realized that that wasn't really what I wanted to do. So I don't know. It just occurred to me to talk about about this um, problem or situation that I'm in. So I decided to do it. Um, not to put you, Claudia, on blast too much, but <laughs> I just was noticing you were having a little, um, well, you were feeling the piece, so to speak. Well, do you, what, what was it in it that you heard, or if you could talk about it a little bit? Well, I can relate to how you have to translate for your parents and um, being a mother for, for your brothers and sister, right? You have a sister? Yeah. yeah, your sister, because um, I'm the same too. I have my brother and sister here. They came along. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I just related to that part of it and just your parents, and it was very touching for me. So I think the weight of it, uh, I don't know if this might be really going out on a limb, but we uh, were uh, on a plane on the way here, and they were talking about the oxygen mask and the fact that you're supposed to put it on yourself first. And then, and Claudia was like, I wouldn't put it on myself first. I would help my sister and brother first. And I was trying to explain, like, you don't understand. If you don't put it on first, then you'll <laughs> then you'll die, and then you won't be able to help them. But I think that that feeling that you need to help the other people around you first and that you just wouldn't feel right with yourself if you helped yourself first, that that would just feel so selfish and and sort of ugly, I think, is, is a little bit of the, the weight that I felt that I was amazed by this story myself because you hear a lot of stories about the immigrant community and I've never heard, a lot of times they're very classic sort of scenarios, but this situation of just having, basically how the language barrier and the immigration issue sort of exacerbates an existing, a problem that would be, you know, an issue um, for any family. It just makes it so that the burden falls even more heavily on on the person who's there. And this was a very, I think, unique angle on, on kind of that challenge. Um, I was uh, just wanting to close things up and remind people, of course, about PRX, where we you can find a lot of these pieces. And we hope, I think, especially I was talking to Martine about that he will work on his story, do a little remix and maybe an update, since now the condo has been built. And there's still sort of glances. You know, there's apparently the condo people and people that already live there don't talk to each other at all. 
they just give each other like steely glances. <laughs> and um, people look out the window all the time to see if anyone's um, leaving their parking place and run down. And so there's a lot of new issues that have developed and perhaps Martino will remix your piece and put it up on PRX. So Generation PRX, which is newly redesigned, we hope that you will all visit and you can find Joey's story there as well. And uh, Libby's story soon? Will no, it's be? there. It, oh, it's there. Oh, it's there already. And a lot of Claudia's stories, um, her graduation story called My Graduation, yeah. and Friday Night at Epiphanies, um, and Cruz Azul, which is a story that she uh, produced based on the writings of a youth that had come into the station. And um, is there any other questions that people had uh, about any of the pieces or comments? Yeah. I just had a general question for everyone. I was just wondering what it was that made you guys want to make radio in the first place. Uh, I'll pass it along. Oh, I got it. <laughs> um, well, for me, is that since um, since I've graduated high school, I don't know what I want to do. So, um, I mean, in where I am now, the organization, um, I volunteer to do translation, to run like sort of a receptionist for for um, for a clinic, and so. I've been thinking about doing nursing and everything, but I wanted to find out more about what's out there. So when I heard re about Radio Rookies, I decided to do it because, I mean, I don't know what I'm going to do in the future, so I might as well give it a try in case that I, if I like it, and I do like it. <laughs> well, um, for me, it started off with the graduation piece, and I've always wanted to work like with art or music or something in that field. So um, meeting Tatiana, I just, um, you know, tried this out and I really seem, you know, to like it and I'm, you know, producing really good material. Well, I think it's good, so. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you guys do, but I do. <laughs> and um, I'm just kind of exploring what, you know, what things I can do and, you know, trying to find new things that I can overcome, so. Um, I kind of feel the same way. I just really wanted to try something new. So when I heard there was a radio program um, in my area, I just said, okay, I'll try. So that's pretty much it. Uh, specifically now that I'm with uh, Radio Arte, I feel like I'm obligated to tell people's stories, especially the stories in the community, because I can only tell so many stories about my life. But in the community, there's hundreds of stories that can just like change your life. And so, I mean, there's so much, there's so much out there. And that's why I'm doing radio, to like try to capture those stories in some way. And I just wanted to point out, too, I think a big plus is maybe the reactions. And uh, something I was hearing from Sonda and Sarah was a lot of reaction to her story. I think people sent, you got a lot of things in the mail, right? I think a glass object from a glass blower and some sort of conversation with a Verizon woman. <laughs> Because someone that Sandra was on the phone with for Verizon trying to fix her phone was like, wait, did you produce that piece with the girl who has the brother? So it can get you famous even with the utilities people that you're speaking with. <laughs> so that might be also a perk. Someone? Well, I just want to throw that question back as a um, youthish adult who started in youth radio is now still working in radio. Adult producers hear how they got into radio. I don't, I don't know if that applies to this session anymore, but <laughs> anybody? Okay. I, well, 
You should get on mic. You should talk to me. Keep going. I actually got into radio in college. And unfortunately, when I was in college, you guys didn't have the scholarship. <laughs> get to come here. But um, I started, um, you know, in television or radio, most mainly in video. And, and then I took a class in radio production with uh, Dr. Spinelli. I don't know if anybody knows who that is. But um, he really turned on to how radio as a medium seemed more welcoming and, um, than television. And, and then I started doing internship at WNYC, and I've been with WNYC um, Radio Rookies for about three years now, and then as, and then I just grew along with the program. So, that's how I started. <laughs> that was great, you guys, and it really made me want to go out and, and make radio, which I think is the best <laughs> compliment I can give anyone. So that makes me want to ask you, um, who has influenced your work or inspired you? Um, other youth producers or adult producers? Or both? Did the bus, bus transit man inspire you? Um, <laughs> um, I don't know. I've been, I listened to a lot of the things that other people at the Blunt Youth Radio program did. Um, I don't know what really inspired me. I just kind of felt like I wanted to do, especially that story, I just felt like it was a story that I hadn't heard before, so I just wanted to make it. <laughs> um, I don't know if you guys are familiar, I can't think of the guy's name who started it, but um, if you're familiar with Radio Diaries, and specifically yeah, uh, I Tembe's. <laughs> yeah, I seen him, and then yeah. I, I was kind of starstruck, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, just that, just that idea of um, teens creating media, because so often, especially now in contemporary life, like we're seen as consumers of media, but the ability to create it and be a part of it, that's just like amazing, so. Um, I guess I, it's the same thing as Libby and, um, sorry. Martin. Martin said um, that what inspired me was that the stories that youth can make, and so I was captured by that. <laughs> Should I? Um, well, I guess for me it's kind of different because I really didn't know about the whole radio thing, you know, it was more about music. Um, so I think just because, like, when Tatiana, you know, asked me, you know, if we could do this graduation story, you know, for me graduating, um, I was kind of like, yeah, you know, kind of unsure because I'm, you know, a very shy person. Um, but, you know, after working on it and then just really getting, you know, my say in it and adding all these things and really telling a story, that's, I think that's just what really inspired me, um, just really listening to my tape and, you know, hearing what, what, you know, my family had to say and stuff, so, yeah. Yes, it was better than just the photograph of your graduation at the yes. end. Right? Yes. <laughs> I had all the different moments. Well, I just wanted to, oh, another comment. Sorry. I, it's kind of like a double part question. I don't want to keep us going, but let's see if I can say this um, concisely. I have a question. Like, I feel like a lot of those stories put you guys in really vulnerable places. Um, so do you feel that any of those stories, after coming out, they've actually made you a stronger person? Or were there any roadblocks mm -hmm. where it just became so painful that it's, it's put you at a disadvantage? Um, how do you feel after finishing that story? And the other one, the other question is, where do you see yourself in the future as far as radio? 
Just real quick. <laughs> yes, made you stronger defending your parking space? No. Well, that's what I mean. Like, I have yet to cross that threshold of like totally leaving myself vulnerable and exposing myself to, to everyone. But in the future, I hope that I can do that, like create a piece as powerful as Sarah's, where you like strip yourself of like all your masks and everything that we wear and just show the world who you are deep down inside. And I have yet to do that, but I hope that one day I can sum up the courage to do that. Right on. Yes, right, right. <laughs> um, Make you stronger, or? Well, it's, uh, it's like, um, like I'm able to talk about it more openly. So I guess it helped. <laughs> Claudia or Louis, I believe you did take the bus. Um, yeah, I actually, the rest of my piece was actually me really going on to the bus because I guess it made me stronger in that sense. And, uh, <laughs> and I definitely feel like I'm able to be more, I don't want to be like a punny, but um, more blunt about things. <laughs> yeah. That's right. You yeah. realize how bureaucrats are really not saying very much. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, for me, this piece here is more, was more of a fun piece for me. Um, the first one that I did was about my graduation, and um, that one says more about me, and I do explain about my life before now because I have changed a lot. So I think that, you know, you guys should really listen to it because mm-hmm. it's... Um, on is, PRX is what yeah, it is. <laughs> and it's, re- it's really revealing. And um, for me, I don't know, I think it was good for me to kind of put myself in that position of letting people know how I feel and, you know, what I've been through and stuff because it reminds me that I don't want to go back to that place. So, you know, it just makes me stronger, you know, to go forward and, and do better and all that stuff. So. And I'd like to just uh, close up by saying that to me the greatest things about these stories are how sort of concrete and specific I feel like I'm coming away with some very concrete things in my head from them for example the date 1983 (laughs) what happened in 1983 when the division of the transit authorities (laughs) I don't even know I just boggles my mind but um so I have that and I think that sort of this the squeeze me I mean that the thing that your mom says when she just says um I think what she's saying right which is like squeeze me is that what she's saying Oh, Diego says no, that. He actually said Squidward from SpongeBob SquarePants. Oh, my gosh. So I'm reading totally into it. Well, I now have that very concrete image in my head. <laughs> well, I guess in the moment it really sounds like that. So I have that, and then I'm really thinking of that Eagle Talon. It was a Talon, right? Yeah. The car, the Eagle Talon. And um, I, this is something that I'm not sure exactly was in the piece, but Martine's saying that people looking out their windows... Uh, waiting for people's parking places to, you know, people to leave their parking place and then running into it. So these are, to me, all really, you know, frames into worlds that you can't really see. And I remember my mom would say, when she was going around, she was trying to show me museums when I was really little, like in a stroller, and I would always be reacting to things that she didn't understand. And then finally she sort of got down, like hunched down to where I could see, which was just people's shoes pretty much. And then she finally realized what I was reacting to, which was, you know, big boots and, you know, funny colored high heels and stuff like that, because I was just little in this stroller. So, 
It's a little silly sort of example, but the idea of the people's perspective and, and the kind of the importance of things that might seem small um, or might seem like uh, not enough to focus a story on, um, or maybe you can't even understand how it must be to experience it at that level. Um, I think that all of these stories really give an image of it. And actually, I think Libby's is almost the best example of that because you really had to, I mean, everyone thinks they know sort of what the transit system is and, and thinks they know about buses, but until you actually get to the level of, well, where am I going to get a map? And you don't really see it. And then we're going to close just a three-minute little thing. This is the end of Ani's story. This is the garage. <laughs> and we're just, I think it's a sweet little ending myself. And then if there's any last, last minute questions, uh, we can stick around. But this is, um, we've gone through the kitchen and the living room and the parents' room and Ani's room and the bathroom. And now we're finally in the garage at the end of the evening. Wow, these rooms are good. Where are they from, Mexico? No. Of course, Mom, that's where we've all grown. Nothing grows here. <laughs> the garage. In the garage, we wash clothes, and my sister and her boyfriend sleep there. There was no more room inside the house, so they had to either sleep outside the house in the shed or sleep inside in the garage. They picked the garage, so now we can't wash clothes anymore at night before bed. The thing I drew as a pizza above my older sister Chio isn't a pepperoni pizza. It's really a lava lamp. Gosh. They always leave that on. And in the morning, it's really hot. I know that because one time I touched it and I burned my hand. It looks like she likes to waste energy because she leaves the kitchen and bathroom light on at night. The things that look like Christmas lights on the ceiling are really lights that hang really high in the garage. There is a big TV that doesn't have cable, so all they watch are movies and listen to music really loud. You'd be surprised how many people two or three paychecks away from being out on the street. The suddenly poor are all around us. Once you've been knocked down like that, it's very hard to recover. What's going to happen to all these people? I don't know. There's no affordable housing. The rents keep going up and up, and the minimum wage has been held down. My sister likes to groove to Michael Jackson's greatest hit CD, and her and her boyfriend watch all kinds of movies. I can hear my sister laugh all the way in my room. <laughs> in their room, they have a couch, and they also share a bed. The room looks really dirty, but it's not. It looks like that because rooms weren't meant to be in garages. So it just looks like a garage. The room is getting full of baby girl stuff because my sister Chio and her boyfriend are having a baby in about three months. My sister is planning to move, but it's okay if she doesn't want to. And in the garage, I don't know if it's cold, but it probably is during the fall and winter. The room also leads to the kitchen and to the living room too. Who wrote this thing? I love you guys. Good night. 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 Good night
A B C D G K M N L O V Thank you guys.